Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Justice League starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, Jason Momoa, and Ray Fisher. Written by Chris Terrio and Joss Whedon, and directed by Zack Snyder. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue on this DC rock gut train. This is might be even more rock gut than the first time we dabbled in this with Batman and Robin and Batman versus Superman and Birds of Prey. Like we're in a whole nother category right now. I don't even know what to categorize it as. Categorizing it as DC Rock Gut Two, and we're downing some more of our yeah strawberry, strawberry PB and J. Strawberry PB and J. But it's like we've doubled down on the rock gutness with more money being spent on these movies, astronomical costs, but. We'll get into that. I, oh boy! With the with the risk of this being a three hour episode, which it could be, let's let's just get right to it. Let's do it. We have some new Patreons to shout out this week. So extra special shout out to Jonathan Pinsano, Sheridan Wood, and Mark Bennett for jumping on the Rye Smile Hall of Fame. Matt and I are raising our strawberry PB and J to cheers you properly. So right. thank you for joining. Thank you for joining. We just did Alien Watch Along this week, which was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun with that, Matt. I did. Excellent. And we'll be dabbling into our bonus episode here in the couple weeks, talking about all the rules of Fight Club. So it's coming up. <laughs> we'll see if there's actual fighting on that episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that has a chance to be a robust discussion, yes? It'll be interesting because it's I haven't seen it in a while, too, and I'm actually revisiting the book to kind of you know, do a little compare and contrast. It's pretty much identical to the movie. So That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. But thank you all. If you want to join the League of Patreon subscribers, go to patreon.com slash rye smile films and thank you we promise we'll make it worth your eight dollars or five dollars excellent well let's get this party started with our flight question in the great hall of the justice league there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes love it created from the cosmic legends of the universe superman wonder woman He's got to call those fish over here. (laughs) Is that the one with the Wonder Twins? Form of a monkey in a bucket of water? It sure is. Yeah, the Super Friends. Yeah, I just had to. I mean, Ted Knight's just voiceover is just iconic with those cartoons. We're three minutes and 30 seconds into the show and you have already put me at great odds with myself because I love that cartoon. Absolutely. But I don't love this film. Yeah. So right now struggling already. You have to make Take the good with the bad, mix it all up, put it in a blender. You get this drink that we're drinking right here. Like mother boxes and father boxes. That's called a tease. You learned that on day two of podcast school, Jesse. <laughs> what did you learn on day one? What was we talked about that last week? Oh, how to talk in syncopation. Oh, that's an alien thing. We don't, you got to subscribe to hear that little thing. That's called another tease. Look at you. You're good at this. That's day three. <laughs> Alrighty, let's get down to the to the flight question. So, you know, the Justice League, this iteration, this lineup that we deal for most of this film is a lineup of five, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman. I'm sure we're going to talk about all of them and how they fit the collective of this group. But <laughs> we decided to have a little bit of fun and just round robin 
fantasy whatever, yeah. hypotheticals, create your own Justice League, but your roster that you get to pick from is any film character that's ever existed. So just lay them out for me. Well, let's do it since you mentioned fantasy rosters. Let's do it draft style. Okay, so let's we'll do go it. draft draft. Okay. So uh, your first round selection, Jesse, who? The anchor of your team. The anchor of my team, the leader of my team. We saw her in a film this just this last week. I got to go Ellen Ripley from Alien slash Aliens. Talk about the power of the flamethrower to take on hordes of xenomorphs and queen bitch herself, the the mother alien. Um, she can even get in that mech suit too, so that's pretty cool. But she's the one I want running this team, actually. Great choice. Yeah. So the captain mm-hmm. of my team is someone from 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still, Mr. Klaatu. Oh, good. I want an intergalactic brainiac to lead this team, and he is perfect for that. I pray someday we do that film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's classic sci-fi. That must be talked about. Good start. We got Ellen Ripley and Klaatu. Round two, Jesse. What's your draft? Number two, I'm going Mr. Bruce Campbell himself. This is Ashley J. Williams from The Evil Dead. You know, you got to have a bit of a smart ass in your in your group to keep the, keep things lively, to keep everyone on on point in check. And I couldn't think of anyone better. Plus, he brings his chainsaw hand and his shotgun antics, taking hordes <laughs> of the deadites down. He's going to be a valuable member of this team. I love it. Mm-hmm. So my round two is going to match my brains with a little brawn. That will be none other than Mr. David Dunn. <laughs> Not the glass version, but the unbreakable version. Yeah, not the not the getting drowned out in two feet of water version. Or two I, inches of water. Exactly. My team needs a powerhouse, and I think he checks all those boxes. This is the strength, the muscle element in my team. Awesome. Round three. Round three. I need a hacker on my team. Mm-hmm. I need uh, someone that knows the tech that can, you know, get us in and out, make us a bunch of cool gadgets on the on the wayside. I actually want Miss Lisbeth Salander from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's a good one. So give me either Rooney Mara, Nomi Repis from the the Swedish versions. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a bit of a wild card, a bit of a femme fatale herself too, Uh, a bit bit of an oddball, but dang, she's smart with the computer, and we're going to need that on this team. Fulfills that Merc for Hire bit too, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. A little bit on your team, but maybe a little bit not entirely on your team. There you go. Good choice. I like that one. Yeah. My third choice, third round selection, is going to go to the supernatural telekinetic element in Necessitate. None other than Mrs. Carrie White. Ooh, good. Yeah, don't fuck with her. It's real simple. <laughs> you know, and then and then and she has the ability to turn your movie into split screen, and you know shit's going to go down when it goes split screen. <laughs> and maybe we can get Brian Palma to direct it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You'll love that. Great choice. Thanks. Round four. Round four. I want a bit of a scientist mm-hmm. element uh but i also need uh, el cumilian uh i actually want the invisible man i want mr claude rain's version himself in on my team love it bit of a psycho but uh if we need to get in stealthily he'll be the one to get it get it done it's funny you brought that up we're going to get into this today too but i gave a lot of thought to the the masquerading element on the team too mm-hmm. I, tended, I didn't go that way but i i was with you that's a great choice yeah good one so yeah, the, let me, League, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen had that. <laughs> let me match your fourth round selection with one that's playing in the same general area. That's also Universal Monsters, and that is the geneticist, okay. Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, good. So I want that in there because... Colin Clive? Yeah, that's who I want. I want the Colin Clive version, uh, not Kenneth Branagh. I think he brings some interesting medical elements to the team that I will need as they are not all immortal. And I think that there is... 
a scientist-like element that is Tesla-esque and oh, alchemist-esque that I think plays really well. That's pretty good. So we're down to our fifth and final selection. Who rounds out your team? So he's the ultimate wild card. He Ooh. can either ying or yang, mostly yang. Um, he's a bit of a psychopath, <laughs> but I need someone who's a bit unhinged on this team to do the, what anyone else won't do. Hmm. And oh, that's man. Max Katie. Uh, oh, wow. And I don't know which one I want. Oh, yes, you do. I I, I kind of like Robert De Niro, but I think I will go Robert Mitchum for yeah. this one. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Ruthless. Yeah, just I need someone that just... No moral compass. Yeah, that is unafraid to do... The deed that won't be done. Uh, I'd have to raise it. That is <laughs> your fifth round selection might be the steal of this draft. Jesse found gold in the fifth round. That's a good one. If I win Robert De Niro, though, he could do those uh, tricep dips on those on those books. <laughs> <laughs> and it brings the finger sucking element into things. As oh, well, yeah, there you go. I forgot about that scene. Quite valuable to have on a team of this. All right. My fifth round selection is not going to is pales in comparison to yours, sadly. But I'm going to go with the munitions or the military armament expert mm -hmm. our boy mr john wick efficient killer indeed yeah yeah <laughs> if you want just headshots galore you you pick the right guy steely and then i think that the other piece that that brings to the table is with the continental and the world that they've done such a good job creating in john wick we mm -hmm. have a headquarters that we can probably house the team in there you go your your hall of justice <laughs> Got it. Excellent. That's great. Those are two really just so different teams. I mean, we're just coming at those from completely different areas, but they all have valuable roles on their team, which is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> we're playing with a really important element that we're going to spend a lot of time talking today. When you put these ensemble teams together, you want enough variance that it allows the scope and the prowess of the team mm -hmm. to expand beyond just fisticuffs, as you would say. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay, I don't know if you're ready for this like or uh, this little sound clip, but let's get our party started with our happy hour time. Zora, can we ask you some questions? It's for a podcast. Well, in that case, kids are running a podcast. What the hell, man? How do you say it? Wait, I never mind. Does your thing really stand for hope? Yes, it does. But it looks like an S. Yes, it's meant to. It's it's meant to wind like a river. Just hope it comes winds. and goes. My comes and goes. A man I knew used to say that hope is like your car keys. Easy to lose, but if you dig around, it's usually close by. Did you ever find a hippo? No, that's not it. Oh, what is, uh, what's the best thing about planet Earth? No one ever said that about car keys and hope. That's not a thing, but I will say he's accurate in one thing here, Jesse. Mm. It comes and goes kind of like a linear story in this film. Oh, my God. What are, what are these little kids doing? Okay, first they're running a podcast. That's, that's At the age of seven? Completely insane. Yeah. Uh, and this other kid is like three. Right. And everything is just super undercut by Henry Cavill's uncanny upper lip CGI hack job. Oof. Let's just talk about it right now. Get it out um, of the way. So that's the hippo in the room that he never fought. Yeah, exactly. This film, we're going to talk about the reshoots and the just the production woes and whatnot. But the most infamous one that I think people production woes. Yeah, that's that's saying it lightly. <laughs> uh, I think the, the most infamous one that people know about is that Henry Cavill was doing Mission Impossible Fallout mm -hmm. when they asked him, "We need to do reshoots with Whedon now." 
And Paramount says, well, if he's doing this movie, he can't, he, he has a must, he can't shave the mustache. So Warner Brothers is like, well, okay, well, we'll just digitally erase it. And no computer can hide the phoniness of a man with the mustache there. His upper lip almost looks dead. Yeah. It was, it was the one thing when this movie came out, it was, I was, I wanted to see it and it was like, can I notice? And from the word go, this is the first scene in the film. I was like, oh boy, we're in trouble. Like we're in deep shit. Huge trouble. <laughs> That's Sony just giving Warner Brothers a big middle finger. I'm glad they did. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> yeah. they easily could have let him shave it off and just spirit gum one on set. Like Mission they Impossible have hair. Fallout was a way better movie than this. That's saying something. That's not terrific either. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, there is an interesting piece in that, though. Let's talk about one thing that seems to set up maybe where we should go. It's not going to, but it should. Mm-hmm. The kid that is not the inaudible one, mm-hmm. the host of the podcast, yeah. not the co-host. Okay. <laughs> the graduate of the same podcast school that you and I went to. There you go. Asks Superman what's his favorite thing about Earth. And he offers, I'm going to just do this on purpose. This is so on the nose. A wry smile in response. Mm. And we head off to whatever the hell that means. And mostly for the film, it's nothing because at this point in the story, Superman is not around. He's still deceased. This is yeah. footage from the past. If you pause out or mm-hmm. shouldn't pause out, if you pause or fade out at that moment, mm-hmm. aren't you setting up a film that spends the next hour and 53 minutes answering what? he liked about earth yeah i think so that's mm-hmm. your opening scene in the film mm-hmm. and you fade out after the opening into what will then be the answer to that question mm-hmm. and that is not what this film is Mm-mm. i don't know if i really i'm not and i'm not advocating for that makes this film better and that's what i want because i don't mm-hmm. but you can't set that up and then not answer it in any way that matters because it doesn't. What they instantly go into is a montage. It's a credit yeah. montage of the morning of Superman. And I instantly have qualms with this because did anyone not just see the last two movies with this guy? And a thing, and I got to steal this term from a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media because I heard them talk about it with the Star Wars prequels. And it's called backtracking. Mm. You can't backtrack the last two of your movies because you got to generate some sort of qualifiable sympathy for your hero. Oh, I love that. Why would the world mourn a Superman that we've literally just seen him wreck Metropolis, uh, destroy buildings? Where's the heroic? And there's that scene in Batman versus Superman. It's like a one minute montage of super deeds. And that's more backtracking on the last film. Mm -hmm. This Superman has not earned the mourning worldwide that he's getting in this opening credit sequence. Like Robert uh, Iron Man in Endgame most surely would. Because they took 23 films to get to that moment. Ah. We're in film three, and they're trying to make us care for a Superman that we could give two licks about. I think this poses an important question to this film. Mm. As we're already beginning the discussions about Superman, and in the theatrical trailer that came out, and there's lots of undulations and restarts and reboots Mm -hmm. and fixes along the way, they were very coy about the appearance of Superman in this. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the posters, he's not on there. Yeah, They're keeping it secretive for a reason. If you work that hard to keep it secretive, two things need to be answered for me. Number one is, do you need him? 
And I'm not sure the villain that they give in this movie or that they present in this movie is Superman necessary. Steppenwolf is a guy, but we're, and we're going to get into that. I don't know if he's that powerful that they need Superman. Yeah. Secondarily is if you've kept it secret and you open up with CGI'd upper lip Henry Cavill, you have already let the cat out of the bag three minutes into your movie. Mm -hmm. It's completely unnecessary. And back to the point, if what we're establishing in that question the kid asks is, what do you like about Earth? And we never answer it. That's a throwaway scene that we don't need. There is zero reason for that to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of this stuff in this film. But we're off to a, a really atrocious start already, aren't we? Yeah, and then the, you're, you're really setting up nicely that you're teasing, in, in not in the marketing, Superman's not going to be in this thing, but you kind of know he's going to come back at some point. Not at just, some point, You're yes. just not going to kill this character and never bring him back. Mm -hmm. So then the return element, the reemergence of him has to be amazing. It has to be a great reveal later in the film. And they don't even get that right later. So. Right. No, they don't. They don't. Um, I actually have a, a, a clip of that later on. But yeah, not up to a good start. And I was really ashamed when I was watching this that, you know, there's these like memorial photos of Superman. And then in the photo also is David Bowie and Prince. And I'm like, do not lump those two mus great musicians in with this film, please. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're capitalizing on their debt just to show comparison with a Superman who is honestly under them. <laughs> so then we're on a on a world on a worldwide trek because Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck, is convinced that something's amiss. We don't know what yet, and we haven't been told, and you're gonna do a whole thing on the mother boxes here coming up, but yeah. for whatever reason, they're turning on. <laughs> because Superman's dead. We don't know why. We don't know how. They're just, they're, the, the light's been turned on again. So he's got this qualm to go assemble a team without just, it's just a premonition. And everyone thinks he's completely insane. He, so he goes to, to Aquaman's uh, seaside shack, uh, his old bay shack, and tries to like recruit him on this team and just like Aquaman like almost beats the hell out of him and just swims back into the ocean. I ain't got time for you, Wayne. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a pointless scene too. I mean, he doesn't even accomplish his goal and, but he doesn't even know what he's assembling a team for to begin with. I want to save this a little towards the end, but this film needs a different opening. Do you yeah. throw back to the first Avengers film when um, Fury and Maria Hill and, and shield and them, are experimenting with the Tesseract and unwittingly bring Loki into the real world. Mm -hmm. He destroys it, he steals it, and it sets the events of the film in motion. It gives cause for Fury to go assemble his team that's spread out all over the globe. Here, we're assembling the team before we even know what we're teaming up for. What? <laughs> right. What? Can I walk back one step? Yeah. <clears throat> We open up with an action sequence from Batman that's mostly thrown oh away chasing. Oh my god! Chasing. Oh, how did I forget that? That's okay. No, I it was forgettable. That's why. <laughs> well, yeah, he's chasing some nondescript criminal on some rooftop or some shit, and that's a uh, Bill Tench from Mindhunter for your Mine Mindhunter fans there out there. You go. Yeah. Shout out to the Mindhunter crew on the podcast today. <laughs> True crime, right? Mm -hmm. All right. And in the process of apprehending this bad guy, he runs into a parademon. This is going to be an issue over and over in a film, and this was going to be the thing I want to reference at the 48-minute mark that I teased out on the socials this week, and mm -hmm. we teased out mm -hmm. like a lot. Batman 
against a parademon is a reasonable fight. But if we start getting out of street-level criminality to intergalactic presence, and Batman is the founding element on what's going to be the body that takes down this intergalactic presence, you essentially render him useless. Oh, absolutely. Against a parademon, it's an interesting thing that happens, and that's a kind of fun villain upon first appearance, although we have seen them in the dream sequence in BVS. We're going to get to that too. (laughs) And he's capable of taking down a single parademon. And again, so we're, I don't know, 10 minutes in maybe, and here's what we've already teased out. The question that Superman can't answer and what he likes about Earth and where and what exactly are these things coming from and to do. And Batman's response to that is, oh shit, we haven't introduced Aquaman in any proper way in this series yet, so we better go introduce the audience to him in whatever seaside town that is. I need to go stroll up to the shack on my horse and recruit him for something. So that sequence ends that you just set up. And Aquaman still isn't on the team. So now we're 15 minutes into the film and we've posed three essential questions of which none of them have been answered. We are just dicking around (laughs) with time and wasted shot after wasted shot. And you know what this is evidence of? Yeah. Many different ideas being smashed into the finish line. Mm -hmm. Get this across the finish line. And I know you're going to tell me this story because Jesse did some amazing research yesterday. (laughs) Or tell our our fans this story, our listeners this story. Yeah. But... We're off on three different directions before we can even get to the inciting incident. I guess maybe the parademon on that building is the inciting incident, I guess. But that's a fairly soft inciting incident. The inciting incident, like if you not to get too Ghostbusters here, but that's where the the protagonist has to decide to either go forth or not. That's the moment where you make the decision. Mm-hmm. And this melting parademon on the side of a building is a very soft you must go forward because it's extremely soft. I don't know what the stakes it's so, are. It's so soft. I forgot about it. Oh, why wow, you just, there, there you go. There, there it is right there. Exactly. Cause then the following scene is wow, a, perfect. Is, is, yeah. is an art heist uh, with wonder woman. Oh yeah. Remember her. We got to catch up with her on kind of what, she, what she's been up to kind of hanging out in, in Paris now. Uh, art heists. Yeah. Art heists. And it's just kind of establishing all these teams. So yeah, we're in, we're in a big problem here with a uh, relegated, a two-hour running time mm-hmm. in a film where we also have to introduce... We saw them in QuickTime Files in the prior film. But we got to establish all these new characters and give them reason to matter and reason to care. And we're just super just treading water at this point. It kind of feels like a, a good way to go about assembling the team would be... There's a great... Uh, uh, Japanese samurai film by Akira Kurosawa called Seven Samurai. Yeah. And they spend a good chunk of time, maybe an hour of that film, just recruiting the team, mm-hmm. going from town to town and seeing who's your best fighter. We, we need them to go, you know, take down these bandits in the in this village over here. Mm-hmm. And it's this trekking, globe trekking. It's not globe there in one country, but it's countryside trekking to assemble a team. I mean, they could have definitely gone this route with Bruce taking two of them and Diana taking two of them. Sure. And then meet in the middle. And but we need to know why they're getting together, and that's not given to us until thirty-five minutes into the movie, <laughs> when it's too late. Ooh. Dare I say the inciting incident would be the 
mother box heist on Themyscira, which is about 25, 28 minutes into the movie. Yeah, if that's the case, that's a terrible structure for plotting and story beats because that's way too late in the story to set that up. But I, yes, mm-hmm. um, it's more concrete and it's the introduction to the big bad that we're going to have to fight. But then you get into the question about these mother boxes. You want to do this now or you want to wait? Almost, because I want to lead up to, to the sound. Uh, go ahead. Okay, that's fine. The bigger problem now is we have what is feeling, because it is, mm-hmm. a disjointed story. That's, you know, 25 minutes into a two-hour film, you're nearing the end of the first act just by page-turning definitions and screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And we've established essentially nothing Except we have a weirdly CGI'd version of Saren Hines as the DC version of intergalactic acolyte C. Ronan the Accuser Mm. as Steppenwolf. Remember what I told you yesterday was that, you know, Steppenwolf was supposed to make a appearance. This is such a good story. Yeah, tell it. Matt and I were really well because in Suicide Squad, you know, you have Enchantress, and we're like, okay, that's that's certainly strange. And then her succubus, incubus brother, whose name is Incubus, is this kind of other pseudo villain in that. And Diablo has to do fisty cuffs with him because he's the only one powerful enough. It got like the story got so big, but it was supposed to be Steppenwolf. Like he even kind of looks like Steppenwolf, that character, the design of him. Yep. Um, and just. After the shuffling of the Batman versus Superman and then the plotting of this film, it was decided take Steppenwolf out of that one and he's going to be our primary bat going forth into Justice League. So it was supposed to be him. So then what, what would have been in this one? Are they just going right to Darkseed like right away? But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what that story involves. But just first and foremost, he's just not a compelling villain. Like he's first, he's not real because he's made in a computer. The performance behind him, therefore, is pretty bland and uh, just one-note villainy. Mm-hmm. His uh, goals and motivations are never clear, and and he just essentially they want to remake Earth to <laughs> so Darkseid can come rule, rule over rubble. Yeah, literally, we're in our favorite villain uh, plot here in this film. <laughs> yeah, he's just so bland and mm-hmm. so unmemorable that you know your villain should be almost on par with with your hero too. They've done a bad job of setting that up. If that's what you choose, I guess you need something that presents an opposition for the the Justice League as it forms. And you maybe can even defend it a little bit that you don't want him to be too powerful because part of the villainy here is the Justice League figuring out how they work together. Mm -hmm. So I reference you back to Loki and the first Avengers. Mm -hmm. That was appropriate. There are plenty of other appropriate choices here that have a familiarity in the story that don't expand it faster than the story is able to matter to the audience. Mm -hmm. The way this movie was originally scripted is this is entry one and entry two is dark side. Yeah. We're going to get into that later and maybe we're going to see some of that in the next couple of weeks with Zack Snyder and where he chooses to go. And I can't wait for the next two weeks Mm -hmm. to do this film. Yeah. I don't even know what what to expect. I do want to shout out something good because we're going to get into a lot of garbage here really quickly. Uh, there's, we're going to get into it? Yeah. Oh. 
and wait around in it. Jeez, okay. I'm going to look for you through the garbage. I don't know. You got to like. You, Are we in the compactor on the Death Star? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish we can be compacted. <laughs> I do have to shout out someone who is good in this movie. And it's someone that I've always liked as an actor. And I just, I want to see him as more of this character. But he's probably done with the role. Is Jeremy Irons as Alfred. What about uh, the Diana? Well, you have her number. You could have called her. Oh, perhaps I should fly to Paris with a handwritten note. Will you be Bruce's teammate? Check yes or no. I'm only interested in her skill set. I'm sure you are. Can we? Ah, well, facial recognition's a bit uh, dodgy on this one, but it's got a partial match. A Victor Stone, genius IQ, football scholarship to GCU, and deceased. Very good. Fairy tales and ghost stories. One misses the days when one's biggest concerns were exploding wind-up penguins. A simple life. I like that. I like that line. I don't recognize this world. I don't have to recognize it. I just have to save it. I could listen to Jeremy Irons narrating a documentary about a man eating jello for two hours. Like mm-hmm. The guy's just got such a unique way of talking, and I like his version of Alfred. And in that scene, you kind of see just a little banter of just kind of some nibbing and some kind of playful back and forth. We, we need more of that. We need more humanity with these cardboard cut characters. Uh, characters. So I had to shout out Jeremy Irons because yeah. he's, he's something worthy in here. Because someone I'm also very fond of in Acting Dumb, Amy Adams, one of my favorite actresses working today, should just not even be in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, just like a tedious obligation Wait. for her. Oh. And I don't blame her because the script... It's a tedious obligation. There's nothing there. And Diane Lane, for that matter, too. There's a lot of discussion around any Batman character choices. Mm -hmm. From the villains to the suit to who's playing Batman, Robert Pattinson, George Clooney. We can go on and on and on and on on for days with that. Jeremy Irons is really good as Alfred there and presents a different version compared to Michael Caine. Mm -hmm. And I like this version. It's a little younger. It's a little bit... um, less refined and he's presented in almost a militaristic way when we first see it. Cause he's got that red, almost army green sweater that he's wearing. Yeah. I think this is a more capable Alfred when it comes to the physical piece of the job. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine's not taking anybody down with the punch, but Jeremy Aaron's got a shot. Okay. That doesn't matter cause he's not going to play, but what does start to matter now is as great as Jeremy Irons is. And look, this is Hollywood royalty. Let's be honest about it. Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. is a fantastic actor and has been for decades. Yeah. It also shows how shitty Ben Affleck is at this. <laughs> I guess yin and yang, so we're talking mother boxes and father boxes eventually, so why not have good acting and bad acting in the same scene as well? But it creates a terrible distraction because mm-hmm. it's almost like someone sat Ben down and said, as Batman... You need to drop your voice a level. He's doing and make a, it really breathy. And I'm so sick of that interpretation of Batman. Just because yeah. you put the cowl on yeah. doesn't mean you go a level lower yeah. and get breathy. Yeah. Like just talk. Mm-hmm. You don't have to disguise your voice, Bruce Wayne. You have a cowl on. Yeah. And he is working that so hard and so bloated because he's so drunk at this time in his career. You can tell too. Like, oh my I, god! I, I don't want to talk about the physical makeup of a villain, but he's. he's Are we sure it's not Captain Quint? He's pretty puffy in the suit again, and Oy. it's because yeah, he was. I think he was going through his divorce at the time with Jennifer Garner, and yeah, he was hitting the bottle per, pretty frequently. But that aside, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's he's doing a voice, 
Henry Cavill, later when he shows up, he's doing a voice. Like, everyone's doing voices in this movie. And just, just talk how you how would talk. This is why Keaton has always been supreme Batman for me, because okay. he kind of just slightly dropped his Batman voice. I want you to do me. I want you to tell all your friends about me. I'm Batman. And then as hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. Like it was kind of almost the same, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. And it was enough that wasn't distracting. Well said. He doesn't need to talk like that because he has a voice box in his cowl that changes his voice for him. <laughs> and even that's almost inaudible. Ben Affleck has a rather low voice anyway. It just it's it's struggling and it, it's not surprising because there's 15 different directors and different pieces in this movie. So for him to get lost and to miss the nuances of that is not unexpected, but damn if it's not distracting. I want to talk about Ben Affleck because he's an interesting actor because like at the beginning, like, you know, with like, uh, Goodwill. I almost said Wet Hot American Summer. What's uh, uh, Days and Confused, oh, Goodwill Hunting, Chasing yeah. Amy. Like he, he was pretty good and then like went into Schlock Armageddon, Daredevil, and then I, I kind of lost it with him. And then he kind of brought it back again with like the town Argo. and Argo and his directorial efforts. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of lost it again. Like yes. he's like in a space right now where like I'm not like confident like when he shows up on, on the screen. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're right. I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out. I actually I wasn't even going to bring up Ben Affleck's voice in this movie, but it's it is distracting. <laughs> Those are simple fixes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> pay whatever Sony needs you to pay. So that they will let Henry Cavill shave the mustache. Mm-hmm. Tell Ben Affleck, hey man, tone down the Batman bit a bit. Just a bit. Give him a Boston accent if you want. <laughs> Any number of things could have mattered. I have an idea. Why not take Siren Hines? Because he's got a very interesting look just in his face. Just put makeup on him. <laughs> you got you just took the words right out of my yeah, mouth. Exactly. Give him a cool helmet, which that helmet's pretty neat, those horns. Yeah. He looks kind of like mythological in some mm-hmm. regard. Oh, good. Right? Doesn't Surter. <laughs> okay, Again. right? He does kind of look Surter, but <laughs> the horns work, but they don't work like that. And as bad as the CGI mustache on Cavill's lip is, I think Steppenwolf is equally distracting because they just didn't take the time to smooth out the volume and the difference between green screen and real screen when he shows up. There's almost like an aura around him of CGI. I don't that's a terrible way to describe that and I'm not saying it in industry proper standard terms, but I think he everyone knows what I'm getting at. Maybe not finished. Maybe they ran out of money and time. Okay, so can we do one thing now? Because <laughs> I have a question. It's been on the okay. tip of my All tongue right, for a second. Okay, sorry. Again, we'd said there's a lot to talk about and, and stuff you'll forget. I already forgot the opening of this movie. What do you think of Billy Crudup as Barry Allen's father in this film? And just kind of a nothing scene, but I like his presence of what that could be. I love Billy Crudup. Yeah. He's had a troubled career. We've gotten to that in the last couple months or something. At least you're creating something with The Flash. Because that character, though, in this film is is disastrous as any, if not more so. But at least we're grounded in something that I can pull for Barry Allen because I recognize the tragedy that's inspiring him. Now, what they do with Barry Allen is bullshit in this movie. And um, we'll get into that, especially I'm going to get into that later when we do the the nightcap. But it's nice to see him, but... Do you need him? Because he's in it for two and a half minutes. Like you gave it to me. That's my answer. What's yours? Oh no, I absolutely love it, and it's 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 grounding because that whole part of his story is you know being accused of your mother's murder, wrongfully accused. It's the whole reverse flash thing. 
I don't want to steal your thunder, but I have to say it because I wrote a note about it. I think we're on the same wavelength here. Uh huh. Don't you kind of want this to be Grant Gustin from the TV show? So much so that's one of my answers in the nightcap. Yes, that's exactly what I'll let you go. I'll I'll defend it later, but yes, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, he's much more capable and it's a much more likable Barry Allen too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Aquaman. Okay. And then we'll talk about Cyborg and then we'll get to the mother boxes. Okay. Uh, Aquaman's introduction. This, so this is pre James Wan film. So this is the first full time we get to see him in his Atlantean habitat. And they're guarding one of the mother boxes. Um, how's he working for you? Do they give you enough to care about him at all in, in, in this film? Uh, care about him. I don't know if I care about him. I think he's interesting and he looks cool. I think that was the mandate probably from one of the rows. Like, Hey, you want Aquaman in this thing? You got to make him not you got to make him cool. The Aquaman that's referenced in the do-do-do-do-do that you did at the beginning of the show is very um, blonde and neat. And I like this a bit more grunged out version of Aquaman. Yeah, Momoa brings a, an edge to it. He looks good. He's got the part. I think Arthur Curry, Arthur Curry should have the attitude that Momoa does. Now, it's not perfect, but... That's a note, that casting choice I'm okay with. I yep. think the the tattoos work because mm-hmm. they seem to speak to some cryptic like language or hieroglyphics that are Atlantean, and you can tell from the little bit we get with batshit crazy Amber Heard. <laughs> Good God, can you imagine having her on set. Oh man, um, that there is an outcast like element that he's struggling with, but also embracing roundly. And they do a good job with him in one moment later on, and that's the magic lasso around his foot Mm. when Wonder Woman gets him to spill his guts proper instead of lie and hide behind the tough facade. Mm -hmm. I think of the characters in this film, Mm -hmm. this is going to be crazy, but I think I'm actually going to be fairly confident in this statement. I think he might be my favorite character in this Justice League as presented. He's not in Justice League normal. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think he's kind of a joke in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. riding a seahorse and do 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 is just so silly. It's a lot of strides to get him to this to be properly presented. I want to say one more thing and then I'm gonna give some give it back to you. Okay, the one thing that Aquaman presents and why he's essential in this movie is he expands the universe of DC. Mm-hmm. When you have ensemble teams, if you have six powerhouses, you just have strength. If you bring them in from different places, so cyborg and tech. But the problem with Cyborg is it's the same thing that Batman does in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. Momoa as Aquaman gives an interesting window into an entirely different part of DC on Earth, which is the water, which if we're going to be honest, mm-hmm. is most of Earth. Yeah. And if at the bottom of the ocean is his city, then you have underwater structure that looks like geography instead of just a wash of water. Yeah. <clears throat> essential casting choice done really well. Momoa is pretty good. He's given crap to work with, but that's a good choice. I, I agree too. He's almost like your, cause Wonder Woman's like your Thor, your God element. Yeah. Uh, he's almost like the black Panther element. It's a snapshot well into Perfect. A, a hidden world to that. Cheers. And yeah. very, re- very regal. And it's its own society. It's a mm-hmm. self-sustaining society. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a good job of showing that in the actual movie. The movie's problem was that they just essentially ripped off like any movie that anyone could ever think of. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a conversation for another day. But no, I agree with you. It's good casting. His presence here is definitely felt. Uh, 
I just I just feel like his scenes there they're just so rushed because we got to get on to the next one, which is Cyborg. So let's talk about Cyborg. Also teased in the little QuickTime files, his father is Miles Dyson from Terminator Two. God, Skynet made a yeah. Whoops. But I think you and I could also say like we're not the biggest Cyborg fans. No, not at all. Just of the character. Uh, I think that's very Titan Titansy. It's yeah. uh, he sucks. Just, just, it just it's he sucks. Uh, yeah, I would rather see a lot of other lineups here, but Man- Martian, Hawkman, Man- Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, you know anybody, or just not even have him in there because maybe four characters in the league is enough because of what we're having to establish all these ground rules and stories. Yep. All right, Matt, let's get to it. I know you're on pins and needles over here, but let me set you up with uh, a clip. For you, to, for you to bounce off of. Right. They called him Steppenwolf, the end of worlds. He lived only to conquer. Millions fell before his blade, who rose again as its parademons. Nightmare creatures who feed on fear. Yeah, I think I met one. We didn't hit it off. Here in Gotham? They're all over. They're looking for boxes. The mother boxes. Mother boxes. I guess Steppenwolf took the one your people were guarding. That leaves two more. I'm impressed. Don't be. I have no idea what's in them. A weapon? Some kind of power? They don't contain power. They are power. Hang on, that's the, one of the worst lines I've ever heard in my life. The mother boxes don't contain power. They are power. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a throwaway line. The new gods include Darkseid, mm-hmm. Metron, Orion, the High Father, Light Ray, Mr. Miracle, Big Bard, Granny Goodness, Steppenwolf, Desaad. These are large Titan-like characters that are all imbued with the ability to create a mother box. What the hell is a mother box? Essentially think a new God's version of smartphone mostly imbued with the characteristics of the creator. It can be anything from healing to transportation to reconstruction of matter. There is no limited amount of mother boxes, and when one is destroyed, you just have to make another one. The movie presents the argument that Steppenwolf, who is a creator as a new god of his own mother boxes, is somehow responsible for retrieving three of them that have been hidden in all places, on earth, Mm -hmm. so that he can bring about the key that unlocks the new god's world and allows dark side sovereign control over what's left of earth. There's no reason for them to even leave the world that they're on as the new gods. So is this a conquest film? And if you need the mother boxes, Steppenwolf, why go through all the hassle of fighting these Amazons and these Atlanteans? <clears throat> Just make new. They're clearly playing in a space that is infinity stone yeah, the considerable. Co- the collection of pieces to make a doomsday weapon. And that can be done well from Horcrux to infinity stones to mother boxes. We have three different versions there. Two of those work and one doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work because they haven't set any of them up. No, not at all. The three mother boxes that he searches don't have, it's not time or space or matter or healing or life. It's just three cubes 
that he has to smash together to create a key that allows a small town that might as well be Sokovia with some nondescript, poor, hapless Russian family that might as well be Sokovian to be subjected to a dome, oh. a dome-like. <laughs> that's, ri- that's exactly what it is. <laughs> a dome of red light that grows purple tentacles from the earth, and no one like that's what we're getting to, and that's terrible. But what's even worse, and maybe the reason that that's so terrible, mm-hmm. is we don't know what these mother boxes do other than they are, as Diana just said, an embodiment of power. Steppenwolf can make his own. There, Jesse. There's no mm-hmm. shortage of supply here. Just you, just make a new one. Yeah, it's literally a new gods titans smartphone. Especially when Miles Dyson has one of them in his house. In his house. <laughs> yeah. That's the crux of what we're battling over. And then, yeah, it's just something to cause a fight with. And this is a huge problem in this film. Mm-hmm. Before it even gets out of the gate, they are tackling a completely uninteresting villain that is so far advanced versus what the capable abilities of this burgeoning Justice League team are that you have to just blend it into this abyss or this um, this miasma of nothingness and pretty lights to make any semblance of story out of it. It doesn't make any sense why he's doing this. We don't know why he's here. We don't know what the three colors mean. We don't know why Darkseid is coming here, and we get one throwaway line where he says we're doing it for Darkseid, and then we don't see anything more about that the rest of the film. Yeah. (laughs) And the, the truth on this, the sub... Well, the grand total of this mother box contraption and the embodiment of new world, new gods world part two, like literally is one little tiny town that's Sokovia. It's not, but it is Mm -hmm. this Russian town. And what I hate about it is we're supposed to think that it's scary when they haven't done any of the work that's necessary to understand what's at play here through the eyes of this four member hapless family in Russia or wherever the hell that Sokovia is that's hiding under the table while all of this action is going on around them. And that is such a shitty way to write Mm -hmm. what's at stake here. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't assembled the team properly. We haven't established the villain and his wants slash needs properly. We haven't established uh, the MacGuffin properly, which is the mother boxes. We don't know what they do, how they work. Um, And like you said, you can just kind of create one in in the comic lore. Just make a new one. Let me give you one more thing about the mother boxes, then I'll let you run with it. Go ahead. They do have an antithesis, and that's the father boxes. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. If we're playing with yin and yang, light and dark, or the fang shui of the universe, and dark side and steppenwolf are after them or already in control of them, isn't the solution to this the other? Yeah. Create a weapon that's... that's, Yes. My solution to this would... Don't even use any of this. Hey, there you go. Yeah, uh, because for whatever reason, Snyder and Chris Terry, and I'm going to get into the production side of this thing, I don't know why they decided they needed to make Justice League so big so quickly. You know what I mean? You were instantly trying to gravitate towards the DC Big Bad, which is Darkseed, mm-hmm. um, which is the Thanos equivalent um, over there on that side. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why they didn't... I know why, but I'm trying to be coy about it. Why they didn't take their time building up with maybe some like 
city level threats that you have to team up against a legion of doom of sorts. Yes. Uh, it just, it, it gets so interplanetary intergalactic so quickly and you don't even have green lantern in this thing. Now, what if you throw him into the fold? Now you're going through galaxies with these characters they, they needed to stay a little bit grounded. I mean, we saw how off the rails this went with interplanetary gods with Ares and Wonder Woman, and we all checked out in Act 3 of that movie. And they're doing the same thing here. Uh, and then, you're right, you already set it up. You make Batman essentially meaningless. Unless he's in a vehicle or has a gun, he can't compete with the rest of these people. So why even diddle around with these with these mother boxes. Hell, Superman could have even been your villain in this movie if he comes back all messed up. There's the whole return of Superman arc with the different Supermans uh, when, when he returns from the grave uh, when they killed him off in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. There's your villain. Mm-hmm. Make Lex Luthor your villain who's assembling a team of teams like he does in the end credits scene of this film. Yep. I just, I'm not on board with Steppenwolf. A, he's uninteresting for everything you just said. B, these mother boxes are so confusing and convoluted for everything you just said. We we have nothing here to, to gravitate towards. We're literally just biding time. This is a watch-checking movie. You're literally checking your watch to see how much of this is left. And I was so flabbergasted watching this thing that I would hit pause and be like, 40, 42 minutes into this thing? And it's only two hours. You feel the length of this thing like crazy. Um, and all of it was all of it was just knee jerk reaction to BVS Batman versus Superman. It totally altered everyone's plans of what they wanted to do with this film. I mean, Matt, we we both read read this thing, but the original <clears throat> the initial plan for this sequel was to have it take place in the nightmare world with Dark Seed using the boom tube to teleport into the Batcave, kill Lois Lane, and. This would have made Superman susceptible to Dark Seed's anti-life equations. You're doing a whole nother thing there where you're talking about controlling sentient beings with a mat- mathematical formula. It's something DC's done before, um, but super complicated, especially into the next movie with, with, with the Superman you just killed off. That was the original idea, is that Dark Seed would show up and kill Lois in the Batcave, thus sending Superman in this very different arc that was the original scripted idea. Mm-hmm. That's not what we got in BVS, but that's teased out in BVS because that's Batman's dream. That anti-life equation is Batman's dream in that movie. Yeah, so then Justice League was supposed to be Batman and Cyborg building a time machine to send the flashback so he could stop all these events from kind of endgame like so, so to speak. But everyone just was so down on the tone the the feelings of Batman versus Superman that it altered the production of Suicide Squad. We talked about that last week. And then it changed the course of this film. So then they go into, you got to write it lighter. You need to make the tone more Marvel-like, which is a mistake when I think talking about DC's just roster of characters. I think they had an interesting in with the way that they were approaching it. Just Zack Snyder is not the director for that. Zack Snyder, to me, is the equivalent of style over substance. Um, He has a very refined stylistic palette of doing things that look pretty. Sword and sandals. 
he should not be writing the scripts to his films because exactly. they're, they're, it's a mess. Chris Terrio, I mean, he won an Oscar for Argo. I mean, th- mm-hmm. these are accomplished screenwriters. So then we get the suits involved now. So now we're in a huge Warner Brothers conundrum. Enter John Berg and Jeff Johns. Hey, Jeff Johns, we've heard of that guy before. Right. Spearheader. They were hired to oversee the DC Cinematic Extended Unit, whatever the hell they were calling this thing. Yeah. On top of that... They had Ben Affleck. They had him down as Batman. He's doing his own little solo Batman film that was going to have Slade Wilson, Deathstroke, Joe Mangiliano. Um, They were prepping that up. He was doing uncredited rewrites on the Justice League script while they were filming and making this thing. So now you got got five, six screenwriters in here at this. Way too many cooks in the kitchen. With no cohesive uh, vision. No. I need to read a, a little quote from you from another geeky comic book guy, uh, Kevin Smith. When heard of him? Yeah, when talking about this, the the first the first version of the Snyder Cut, which is what I imagine we're seeing next week. Mm-hmm. He said, "When people hear Snyder Cut in their heads, they think about like a DVD they've seen of an extended cut or something that's finished. The Snyder Cut, that again I haven't seen, but the one I've heard everyone speak of was never a finished film. It was a movie that people in production could watch and fill in the blanks. It was certainly not meant for mass consumption." Mm. So we're going to find out about mass consumption next week, but it was always, I think, in a state of disarray and something that could never, uh, like, truly be, you know, seen by by human eyes because it was just so convoluted. Enter the Warner Brothers suit screening, who um, Snyder made all these efforts after Batman versus Superman to change the tone. Uh, despite this, Warner was still unhappy with the results, and insider reports said. Uh, that the cut was, quote, unwatchable. Mm. Yeah. So then we got a lot a lot of pieces in here. At the same time, uh, uh, Zack Snyder went through a horrific family tragedy. His daughter committed suicide in the middle of this production. Mm-hmm. So he has that to, to going on in his life. On top of that, new CEO um, Kevin... Uh, I knew I was gonna forget his name. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real quick, Matt. Uh, the new CEO of Warner Brothers, instead of pausing the production, wait for Zach, wait for this, said, "No, we have to sally forth because sally forth indeed. We are worried about the upcoming merger with AT and T, and we want to make sure that all the executives here at this studio get their annual bonuses before this happens." I'm gonna stop you right there for a second. Yeah, did you just say with all of the production issues that you just stated? We've been going on 16 minutes now of the production issues. I'm kidding, but mm-hmm. it's been a minute. Yeah. yeah. The final deciding factor in that was we needed to get this movie finished so that we could get our bonuses for the quarter. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. The stunned silence that you all hear is not me being bombastic. It's shocking. Well, it was all about money. Yep. So they didn't care about this film. And so what they what they didn't want to happen was all the money invested in it up to this point. They didn't want it to be for nothing because if this merger happened, there could have been a good chance that this film never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. It would just got killed. Mm-hmm. So we're not changing the date. We need this to come out. Snyder's dealing with this tragedy, but we're already unhappy with him. I don't want to undercut Zack Snyder's horrific family tragedy. Uh, people that have to deal with that is that's horrendous. I kind of get the feeling just reading these articles and all this information about the production that I kind of feel like they were going to fire him regardless like uh, of that. He he stepped down after that to kind of just do whatever you want with it, but they were already moving in a direction of we got to move away from this. 
enter someone, Joss Whedon, Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who we need to hire someone that is A, can write and fix up something, someone who's done a team-up movie and can deliver us something under two hours with what we got. I mean, he'd done this film before. It's called The Avengers. Yep. He had great success with it when in Age of Ultron. So enter him in as an 11th hour savior of sorts to totally give us this film, which people say is about 80% Whedon. And it's interesting that Snyder still retained most of the credit. I mean, Whedon only advocated for a writing uh, co-writer credit. And then we get into all the woes that have kind of come out about his abusive, uh, nondescript nature of dealing with the cast and crew of making this film. And that's kind of all kind of coming out after the fact now. Mm -hmm. But I just have to say, just, you know, you put all that in a blender, you put it on, on, on puree, you throw $300 million into that, and then you go to the audiences of the United States and the world and say, open up, and you just pour it in, mm-hmm. and you get this. This movie that we're, we can't even conjure up some of these scenes because it's just so nondescript. What a mess. What an absolute mess from the word go. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a dumpster fire. It's somewhat shocking to me that there's any at least singular through line that you can identify at all, at least at the end of the day, what they were able to salvage was the reimagining of the new gods apocalypse, essentially the planet apocalypse on earth. I guess Whedon used all of the Sokovia and age of Ultron references that I mentioned because there was nowhere else to go and they were up against a time crunch. That's all him. Yep. Those are new. He came in and like rewrote 80 new pages of script that then he then had all the actors come back so they could come reshoot the movie, essentially. So all I have to say is I'm very curious for next week, and I don't want to tease out next week. We know it's coming, but I want to know how that's so different from this version. I think structurally, skeletal structure. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same movie. The skin and the rest, I think, is going to be entirely different, but we'll see. Let's finish up the last little bit of the movie uh, story-wise. But before we do that, I have to bring up one thing. We've mm-hmm. talked about the 48-minute mark a lot. and mm-hmm. Like how I told you, there's a moment in that where I just always get sleepy or un- uninterested. Yeah. It's the scene that after occurs right after um, Steppenwolf has acquired the three mother boxes and empty or opened up the key to the universe. We immediately go from that back to a rooftop in Gotham. We have just assembled in the DC universe what is the most powerful collection of tools, three mother boxes mashed together into one all-powerful tool. And we immediately fall back into the labor and the work that it takes for me to buy in to this small, minuscule skill set up against that that Batman offers. You go from, and that's not a slam on Batman. I'm talking about skill set that is street level criminal justice provider. It's absolutely valid. And you go from essentially a steak and lobster dinner of, of scope and sequence, not quality, but big, robust ideas to what? A salad with uh, a lemon wedges and croutons? Let me play this. How many of you are there? Not enough. 
Eight people abducted from or near Star Labs. Here's the potential perp. Parademons. Okay. The demons must have caught the scent of the mother box. They carried people away to find out what they know. So the eight may still be alive. Nine. Oh. The head of Star Labs was taken as well. You made it. So then, there must be a nest nearby. I plotted all the sightings in Metropolis, Gotham. No pattern, I can see. The lines on the map don't converge. On land. These lead back to Braxton Island, between the two cities. Gotham Harbor. These are air vents. They all lead down to the tunnel to Metropolis project that was abandoned in 29. I know. I can't with them. Do you really think that... Oh, wow, they just... They really just vanished. Huh? Oh. That's rude. You forget that J.K. Simmons was in this movie? Yeah, until I saw him again here in this. Oh, yeah, I didn't he remember a that. Pretty good looking Gordon. It works. He kind of looks like the one from the, the cartoon uh, uh, animated series. Yeah. Yeah. In all of that that's happening, the thing that the audience has to reconcile is this guy with this just above precinct beat level cop, now to, you know, precinct leader, have not decoded any geographical explanation as to where the parademons are and where these strange impulses or whatever the hell he just said is occurring. And then from that, they decide to jump into an underwater reservoir and Gotham Harbor to do what? Yeah. Hope they hope they find something. There is so much going on in that scene, dialogue wise. Terrible writing. It's just exposition dump after exposition dump after exposition dump with a team led by a guy that has zero chance of taking down Steppenwolf. And if there's any question, go back to, and I like Batman. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a Batman guy, Mm -hmm. but go back to watching BVS and what Batman was reduced to when it came to doomsday. He is on the side of a building Firing batterings oh, at the monster. He's running for his life. Because <laughs> that's all he can do. Yeah. And in this particular case, I guess they thought that that worked so well that they would try the same thing again, but there's one difference. Let's use some of the bat contraptions. That way he stays relevant. And so we get Steppenwolf and the acquisition of the three mother boxes, big, huge scope, big deal. We're bringing in another world and crashing it on earth to street level discussion in a Harbor back to water battle, sorry, water battle in Gotham Harbor where they are rescued by a spider like contraption that Batman has created and cyborg drives. Okay. And if that's not bad enough, I timed it. The version that I watched, I watched like hour and 50, hour and 48 minute version is mm-hmm. the one that I watched. Yeah. That sequence with Steppenwolf ends at the one hour mark in that harbor. Mm-hmm. We do not see Steppenwolf for 32 more minutes, but you know what we do get? Yeah. The resurrection of Kal-El. Yeah. With, by way of mother box. <laughs> by way of mother boxes. Yeah. This scene is... It seems like the film wanted to do a, a, a lot. It wanted to obviously bring back Superman, but then set up this other graver threat through the acquisition of all these artifacts. 
And then in the Superman piece of it, it becomes this, like they said, the dark, this dark Superman that doesn't have recollection of who he was prior to all that. So he becomes another villain of them for sorts. As bad as, yeah, exactly, Jesse. As bad as Steppenwolf and as much as I don't like that character, at least at this point, I have an hour of, of history with him. All of a sudden, you're going to take 30 minutes and you're going to take Superman from dead to living to furious back to on the team to rescue them from Steppenwolf in 30 minutes. And also included in that is the rekindling of the romantic flames between him and Lois in a cornfield in the middle of Kansas (laughs) in the most bullshit, take your shirt off, look at my body, which good for him, waste of time. And ever. And you know what all this is built on the foundation of? The crux of why Batman has the need or feels the need to bring back Superman? Tell us. Martha. (laughs) It's like this is all built on that moment. Our moms share the same name. That's the only change of heart he had that we saw at the end of that film and then after death. And now he feels so compelled that he's his ally to, to bring him back. Like Even that is just such steeped in terribleness of the prior entries. But... Matt, I want you to listen to this because Cavill, Cavill's doing a voice too. I don't know what it is. Okay. Alfred, I need the big guns. You did this. I had to. You won't let me live. You won't let me die. The world needs you. It doesn't need you. Clark. He literally throws Batman aside. And as you've stated so nicely, what's Batman going to do? How's he going to fight someone like this? He's literally complaining about internal bleeding. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's some offhanded joke. There is a moment in this, in this sequence because we have to have another fisticuffs with our league. Uh, trying to take down this evil Kal-El. When they're all kind of like trying to like corral him and surround him. The moment I do I do like is when the, the, the flash kind of goes around him and he's in like supersonic speed mode and time slows down and uh and Kal-El kind of like cocks his and kind of sees him. Like th- that's pretty funny. Like that's like a hum- humorous element that I know Whedon brought to the table with, mm-hmm. you know, what he does with these characters. But it's, it's just so little so late. I mean, and, and what they should be after is keeping an eye on that mother box that they just chucked onto the lawn there like yesterday's trash because as they're dicking around over here, Steppenwolf shows up in a beam, and then he's gone. And now he has the third one, and it's you blink and you miss it. I literally, I turned and blinked, and I missed this scene. I had to go back and rewatch it. Uh, um. You know, we talked about Joss Whedon trying to save... Don't think about it too hard, Matt. Yeah, no. This film doesn't deserve it. No, right. And I don't think Joss Whedon did either. Mm-hmm. You know what he found out? It's a paycheck for him. Right. He, he remembered what worked really good in the Avengers, and that was when Iron Man, Cap, and Thor all fought each other. Mm-hmm. And fans like that. That seems good, though. It is good. <laughs> yeah. But Sokovia was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I think that poor man is so up against deadlines that there's no time to really be creative in a way we hadn't seen. So you just... You are what you know. Yeah. And so we get to 
the showdown of the Justice League versus Superman. And that's not entirely bad on its own. That could be interesting because mm-hmm. at least you're getting interesting characters fighting each other. Doesn't everyone in this thing, director, <clears throat> actors, don't they just feel like obligated to be here? Like they don't want to be here. I do, and it's puzzling to me. This is what I wanted to get to a minute ago. Let's do this for just a second. Well, essentially, they had to come back and make the movie a second time. Well, like, how terrible is that? Like, And if we include the $30 million that AT&T put in to get this version that we're going to see next week and the following oh week, God, it's maybe, yeah. like, the third time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just want to, Let me ask you one question, then, mm-hmm. I'm, well, then we'll, we'll get into this. Do you feel like when the Justice League was released the American cinema-going audience was suffering from superhero exhaustion. I know you might have been a little bit, but do you think as a total it was? The word fatigue, um, I would say yes. Yes and no. I don't think you can be fatigued by things as long as you're still enjoying them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Marvel's found a good niche of that. I mm-hmm. know there's there can be Marvel fatigue. I mean, 23 films in, you might like, eh, I'm kind of a little tired of Marvel movies. But when you watch them or you watch WandaVision or anything they turn out and you, you do have a good time watching it. When you sit down and watch these DC films, it's like a job. You're like working a factory. You're like Charlie Chaplin in modern times trying to like twist the twist the bolts on the assembly line. That's what you're trying to do watching this movie. You're not having a good time. Like you're doing more work trying to do the work of the screenwriter and ask questions on why things are happening yeah, the, I would absolutely see fatigue in DC side of it. As long as they're still unique, uh, asking thought-provoking questions, um, showing us stuff we've never seen before, I think there will be a, a genre for superhero films, but not this. I, will, I don't stand for this bullshit. Thank you. Yeah. The fatigue that you're talking about is because they have put so much into each scene to try to do what Marvel did over 23 films. Marvel took the time, and I want to say, like, by time, I mean, each one of the films that Marvel made during that 23 run made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. If DC feels the time crunch because they don't know how much more the film-going public is going to stomach another superhero movie, they're making a tragic mistake. For everything that you and I just said, or everything that you just said and I agree with, we saw every one of these DC films in the theater. They still made money on us. Yeah. If DC, at any point would have taken their foot off the gas and just done Aquaman before they did Justice League and done Wonder Woman before they did Justice League and reimagined each of the characters, then this movie doesn't have to be so heavy with not only giving us enough of an origin story to know who the character is and understand their powers, but then smash that into a larger team component that makes the film make sense and move it down the line towards here's the weird thing, Jesse mm-hmm. towards an end after 23 films that Marvel made, it was over. Like yeah. we're starting all over now. So mm-hmm. you're rushing towards a finish line that you don't want to get to anyway. Cause that's the end of the revenue and the tape represents no more money. Yeah. Why are you trying so fucking hard to run that in world record time? Slow down. They wanted to like do it in reverse. They wanted to do the big stuff quicker and then focus on the little stuff later. The wrong approach was the comparison. Mm-hmm. Both of those endeavors would have made a fortune. And let's be frank, because you've already laid it out. They were in this for money. Yeah. If they make, if this film is the culminating midpoint of seven films prior, we're not so stuck and admired 
in heavy. Every scene has 10, 15, 20 meanings. Well, it's pretty and It's pretty telling. When, what was the hurry? Why yeah. didn't anyone just say, let's make six more movies? Two problems. Uh, the, the, the road to get here was Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad. Wonder Woman had come out that summer, and then this, that, November. Don't forget Green Lantern, too. Even though he's not in it, they did have they that was already been built. He doesn't count though because he's not this version of Green Lantern. Because then I'm not counting the Nolan Batman stuff because that's its own okay. separate thing. Uh, so two thirds of one of those movies is palatable. Mm-hmm. The rest is atrocious. Mm-hmm. So you're already not off on the good foot. I think they just gave so much. They gave the keys to the kingdom to Snyder and said. Do Superman, and then he, they saw what more because that summer that you know they were in production on Man of Steel was when Avengers came out, and everyone Warner Brothers was like, well, we want that now. Warner Brothers freaked out, or Universal freaked out. Was like, we want that. Do it with the monsters. You, no one thought anything through in a waitable timeline because they all wanted the instant gratification of that success. And that's so puzzling to me because to get to where Marvel was at that point and the progression in story and the layers and the Easter eggs and the post-credit scenes and all that was an arduous process. But from the business point of view, I'm just looking at that point, not story, just business. Absolutely. Every single one of those steps or every rung on that Marvel ladder made that studio a fortune, whether it's universal and the half baked, you know, uh, um, monsters thing that they tried to launch or DC in this just slow down appreciate the revenue generating potential of this because I agree with you that there's an element of superhero fatigue, but not enough to where people would not have gone and seen no, no, no. a DC attempt, oh, right? absolutely. So it's just I, such I, a bad decision. No, you, we waited years to see Batman and Superman right. on the screen together. Yes. They talked about doing that years before. Uh, the other thing that worked in Marvel's favor, and maybe DC's just greedy because in their bullpen they had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, like big names. Huge. Marvel was coming out of bankruptcy yeah. to form their own film studio. Mm-hmm. We got to do that first Iron Man on the show one of these days when, okay. when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hadn't, they didn't have the roster of characters. They didn't have Superman or the X-Men because they had loaned them on tender to other film studios. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, who could we make a movie about Iron Man? Who the hell knows about Iron Man? Who are you going to cast? Robert Downey Jr., the guy that's been in rehab for like the last 10 years? Mm-hmm. It was a gamble that paid off. They had to work harder to make us care about characters that we could give diddly dick about in Marvel comic dump. Thor? Like, who who cared about Thor before they cast Chris Hemsworth and did that film about him? Right. And I would say the same about Captain America, too, honestly. Yes. And then they did the same with Black Widow and Hawkeye. And all that work built into that paid off for them dividends with that first film. They took the time. They had to work harder at it. DC has to work less hard because of the library of characters they get to instantly work with. And they're just greedy. You're right. It's this whole thing was all about money. We got to get a smash success like uh, Avengers. How do we do that? Well, we have a thing called justice league. Do it right now. That's not how you make movies. It's just so counterintuitive, this money argument. And yes, everything you said is a hundred percent accurate in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so counterintuitive to approach it the way that they did. Mm -hmm. If you take, for example, Ant-Man, that is a throwaway. No one gave a rip about that character. Why didn't you take the time? I'm not kidding about this. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to, why didn't you take the time to do Adam? Yeah. 
If it's about accumulating a cast of characters that allows you to expand your world by team acquisition, mm-hmm. the mini, the miniature, the microscopic element that Adam and Ant-Man present are a, there's, there's a room to play They're around in there. Interesting. Yeah. The microverse didn't matter with the blip. The hell it didn't like it really mattered in, in game and infinity war, his ability to shrink down to nothing that mattered. I don't give a damn about Ant-Man. I've never read an Ant-Man comic in my life, and mostly when he shows up when I was reading, I'd be like, oh, God, can we get to someone I like? Like, uh, I can sum up this perfectly. Whereas Marvel took six fil- six films to lead up to their team up, mm-hmm. DC decided to crunch that down into QuickTime files in yep. Batman versus Superman. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And the, <laughs> to, to put the final bow on this, yeah. each one of those QuickTime files as a standalone film had the potential to make an absolute fortune for mm-hmm. them and they passed for the immediate larger payday when any of those other ones would have made more money than this did and created more franchisability because the franchise is dead right now and you know what they're, they were do you want to see aquaman too uh, we will but i don't kind of do but <laughs> that's you know what i mean and the thing that they kind of did that you know no one's really considering is dc did have a filmmaker centric approach whereas like yep. you know marvel would attach you know the guy that directed Game of Thrones for Thor: The Dark World, but they were they got James Wan, mm-hmm. uh, David Sandberg, who had done the Annabelle films, uh, and then now Andy Machete to do the Flash. These guys are steeped in horror. Like they got like horror directors to like do a stab at superheroes. That's cool. It is cool. Uh, and and, yeah, and Patty Jenkins too. I mean, she had you did Monster with Charlize Theron. They they had an interesting approach to it, and it just there was no captain leading the ship. We've talked about that before. I mean, there was no Feige leading it. They tried to do it with Jeff Johns and John Berg, but they made it worse before they could ever make it better. This is not, I don't want to turn this, it has been for a while now, but I don't want to turn this into an entire comparison between the two studios. But I think with what you just said, one of the more important pieces in the last decade of filmmaking has been Kevin Feige. And he cut his teeth way back to that like first Blade and first X-Men. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for all of the things that we've brought up, which could happen on any set and have because they make good stories, and that's why we tell them on the show mm-hmm, often. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen at Marvel. They had a few missteps here and there. But I would argue, for as much as you and I don't like the Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, and Iron Man 3, oh, they're, they're, those are way better than anything we've covered from DC at all. 18 out of 23 is so like a B plus. That's still good, <laughs> So I, I guess in this weird podcast, I'm raising it to Kevin Feige because he kept it on the rails and it's difficult to do. And we're talking, that's why we've been talking for 80 minutes about this. Let's talk about the end of this movie okay. finally. Let's so we're finally in, I like that you call it, we'll just call it Sokovia because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. This red bubble uh, terraforming plant. And they always want to terraform. They always want to like rebuild the world to look like their home world. Like. <laughs> Uh, which they've destroyed, which when why that's why they have to leave. Yeah, destroyed and to rule more destruction. Yeah. So now we get the the final team up. Batman is like laying waste in his flying fox. I think that's what it's called actually. His yeah, yeah, Batmobile because yeah. it's all he, like I said. Unless he has a gun or a vehicle, it's all he's how he's gonna help you. And then there's just uh, just a miasma of flying around. Aquaman's flying through the air. Cyborg's flying. Wonder Woman's flying. The Flash, who doesn't know how to run, by the way. <laughs> what a terrible runner. What are those arm movements? Oh, man. Oh, I don't know whose decision that was. The computer's decision or Ezra Miller's decision, but that's a bad move there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, do you tune out? You know, Matt, I know we, we've seen 
thousands of movies in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. When the action just gets so busy mm-hmm. and you can't tell this transformers thing, this the, yeah this thing from that thing mm-hmm. and the physics of it all and especially you know cgi's made it a whole lot worse because they can essentially just click on whatever else they want in the screen i kind of tune out yeah. like that is so uninteresting to me there's there's something intimate about you know the end sequence of jaws when Richard Dreyfus is in the cage and they got a mechanical shark that can't, that can't even work. Mm-hmm. And it's somehow suspenseful. You're into it because you're invested in the characters and it's not busy. I mean, you're, you're in it and you feel like you're in the cage with them here. I, I don't know what I'm, I feel like I'm like on like a drug trip because so much is happening on the screen all to the consequence of nothing. I tune out. I don't know if that's me just getting older or being film snobby. I don't think it is because I don't know who enjoys that. The first time that happened to me was a movie called Man on Fire. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible film. God rest the... That's a Ridley Scott's other... Tony Scott. Tony Scott, right? God bless him. Sorry that he went through that terrible end of his life that he did. Mm-hmm. But that movie was all about super busy camera, super tight, no ability to see what's going because you're too close. I don't need to be that close to the action. That film sucks. Mm-hmm. And somewhere from that point forward, it's turned into get this tumbling mass of violence and action, get the camera right smack dab in the middle, tumble with it, and you lose any perspective because you're just too tight. Yes, the answer to your question is absolutely yes. I just it it feels like I'm just watching a kaleidoscope of color. That's exactly what it is. And that's boring. Yeah. It gives you a migraine. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but we built it up kind of, not really. That was a joke. Uh Superman's inevitable return and it's done in the dumbest way possible. Like mm-hmm. you spent all this time bringing this character back and this is how he shows up. You're all too weak to see the truth. Well, I believe in truth. But I'm also a big fan of justice. Dun, dun, dun. All right. <laughs> and biscuits. I like biscuits too. Hang on. Superman. Okay, so Steppenwolf's waxing on, uh, like, in his soliloquy about how they can't beat him, as all villains do. Messianic. Yeah. Superman somehow flies down off screen. No one sees him. Steppenwolf doesn't see him to deliver this off screen. Like, this is this is the moment. This is like this should have been like uh, this. Not the to the but the the portal moment in Endgame when everyone kind of comes back. Like right. Someone with as much gravitas as Superman and Henry Cavill has about as much charisma as I do in my right ear. Uh, I might be stretching it for Cavill. He shows up and, and it's just unheroic. It's unexciting. It's uninteresting. Like this should be a big moment for the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. He should just come off our screen, just give him a right punch, and then play play because they're playing the John Williams Superman. Do 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 do. They can't even get that right. So now here we got all the team together just to just fight fisticuffs over these mother boxes. And I could not be more bored. And now at this point, Steppenwolf has no chance. We're just prolonging the inevitable. Like we are that final two minutes in the Cinderella at the NCAA tournament who is taken about as far as they can are down by 11 with like 68 seconds to go. And they continue to foul just on like, we're in that. (laughs) 
We're just like this is a basketball game where they keep fouling at the end, just it, prolonging the runtime. Yeah, man, it's over. That's how I feel about this. You have no shot now, and mostly because I think the sole power he has is some strength and an axe. And Superman, like Superman could do with just about anything, freezes it, and once that axe shatters, it's over. I always feel like Superman's heat vision is an underutilized weapon because he could just cut the guy in half. Those are like those freeze are la- him and cut him. Right? It's, it's lasers. <laughs> yeah, and as fast as the Flash is, all you have to do is look at him. <laughs> That's right. He's too powerful. So now we've gone from being maybe underpowered with Batman and leading it to too overpowered with Superman leading it. Yeah, the spectrum of the Justice League is all over the place. All over the place. Oh, well, I wanted to say, I, I did call you yesterday and talked about just what a chore watching this this movie was. One of them, <laughs> maybe one of the most chorific, mm-hmm. hashtag chorific films we've done on this podcast. Yeah. It's under two hours. We're at like an hour and 40 minutes at that moment right there. Right. I called and told you, I was like, it says something about the runtime when you feel like you've been there for forever. And I brought up another film, The Dark Knight Rises, which is borderline almost three hours long. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, you're you're fairly engaged. You're in it. You want to see the final confrontation between Batman and Bane. You want to see how this whole trilogy wraps up. You're invested. Here, we're checking watches. We're getting on the phones. And we're not even coming close to the runtime of that other movie. That's saying something. We've laid out a lot of different things in this mm-hmm. movie, and somehow it's all completed by an hour and 48 minutes. And I'll go back to the three things that I brought up. We still don't know what the answer to Superman's question was about Earth. We still don't know what the hell podcasting site those kids are hosting it on or whatever I said. Oh, their and, parents are paying for that for them. <laughs> and we still haven't really made any significant progress on what these mother boxes are or what these parademons truly mean. And I'll say another thing, and this might be the most important. Do we even like any of the characters in this movie? (laughs) I mean, mostly I'm on board with Aquaman, but I have to say one more thing about that. For the little bit of affection that I can find towards that character, they give him the cheetah treatment from Wonder Woman 84. He literally rides a parademon down from the sky. Like a surfboard. With his trident. Mm -hmm. Aquaman in the sky, Jesse? Mm -hmm. What? No. Yeah. Aquaman His name the, is Aquaman. Aquaman in the sea. How about Hawkman? And I don't even like that character, but at least that fits an air battle. Martian Manhunter, yeah. Okay, I like that idea. And there's supposed mm-hmm. to be an appearance of him in this film we're going to do next week, right? Oh, God. We're supposed to see him. He's supposed to be in it. He was supposed to be in this too. Um, We've talked about a lot of stuff in this show that we've read. I really do warmly encourage everybody this week to just go down a rabbit hole or two and just read. Like, mm-hmm. just search the troubles on set for justice league and you will find hours of material well, cause then that the, will entertain you. Let's get to the end of this film and then we'll kind of, we're get, not there yet. Yeah. Can yeah. We be done. Well, we get into this montage of sorts, which is just filled with ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. So we win the day Steppenwolf. Did they kill him or did he just vanishes into the ether? Right? Yes. Yeah. So like maybe he'll come back again. Mm-hmm. Oh God. So then we got to wrap up everyone's individual storylines. This is completely insane, Matt. So they, Martha Kent had to sell her house to the bank because she couldn't afford the payments because she was living off of Clark's income, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she gets the house back. Bruce was able to buy the, this is so stupid. This is a a terrible character building moment for for a character you've obviously established that bruce wayne has money we've been hanging out at his mansion pad this whole film uh and he says were you able to buy the house back from the bank and bruce wayne just goes i bought back 
I bought back the bank. Dude, it would have been easier for you just to buy the house than buy an entire uh, franchise of a bank. Stupid. That's a bad dialogue of character building that we already know that. We know you're rich. You already you told it to the Flash. He asked you what your superpower was. He says, I'm rich. I'm rich. Ridiculous. The Flash gets a job at the G or G or Central City Police Department as a crime. We ne- we never get to see uh, Star Labs. Yeah, we never get to see Barry Allen do any scientific anything other than run fast and run weird. And he goes and shows Dad, "Hey, I got a job." We never even knew he was into that because the film doesn't establish any sense of that world for him. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what Cyborg was doing, hanging out in his apartment again. <laughs> no, he gets the oh, he, he gets the Ultron Dad. treatment. He gets made over in a new Ultron suit. And wasn't he, he was working with Dad at, at mm-hmm. yeah, Miles Dyson? But, but one more quick thing: mm-hmm. Do you love in it when Steppenwolf rips off Cyborg's leg and then they just walk back up and just twist it back in place, like in that final showdown? Not to take this. No, yeah, he, like he rips his leg off and they just, oh just. Well, you're good. Through extremist technology, it just grows back. Oh, my God. Okay. Keep finishing up your montage. And then they set up kind of a hall of justice. They set up something tantalizing with the Bat Manor, Wayne Manor, Mm -hmm. that's been abandoned and that was established in the last one. I kind of want to know why. But the film has no time to tell us what the hell happened here. But it's going to be the new hall of justice for a cadre of superheroes for future entries. And then finally... What was the last shot of the film? I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what the last parting shot goes. Oh, then look Wonder- up in the sky. Superman flies up into the sky. That's right. And Wonder Woman's okay with fighting crime in public again because <laughs> mm-hmm. that was a whole problem in '84. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you're right. Superman opens up his chest and then flies, and then the the film ends. Ooh, man, that that's just setting up a lot of nothing. And then we get two end credit sequences. We get a race between Flash and Superman. Did you stay long enough for these scenes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> silly, silly, silly. It's just that that's fan service right there. The Flash is going to win. I mean, if Superman is can fly and is also the fastest, he can do anything. Right. Boring. Boring. Let the Flash do something. He's only good at running. Give him the running. Yeah. Let, him, let him win the running. Let him win the running title. Yeah. And then we cut to the tail end credits uh, that tease out Slade Wilson, Deathstroke, going to the yacht of Lex Luthor. Just got to bring Jesse Eisenberg back into this movie to kind of tease out their own league, their league of, I, they're the league, the league of villains, and in, in I call them the Legion of Doom. Yeah, it would have been better for this movie. Like they're going in reverse, they're going backwards and forwards. I think it would be better. Period. Mm-hmm. It would be better, period. Once the Justice League takes down Darkseid, and they have to, or there's no more Justice League and this franchise is over, where do you go? The Legion of Doom is such a more appropriate way to go than the way they're choosing with Darkseid. But we might be getting into some nightcap territory now. Yeah. Uh, just just a couple little, little anecdotes. Uh, we went over this uh, before, but... $300 million budget, um, that doesn't even go into account of what it takes to market a movie, which is also in the hundreds of millions. And they, they don't tell you those totals. $657 million gross. It had a break-even point of $750 million. It lost Warner Brothers nearly $100 million. Mm. The reaction to this essentially altered their release strategy. They said, no more team-up for right now, and let's just focus on solo efforts and then they gave the green light to 
Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson to do a Batman film that is unrelated to anything in this version of the movie. They're just, they're, they're all, it's so messy. Wonder Woman 84 was kind of a disaster Mm -hmm. and then probably financially because it didn't get a proper theatrical release. Like what is the state? I I know the answer. It's bad, but uh, they have no direction. They have no idea. And honestly, I don't think people really like their movies. They've never been able to figure out who their audience is and how to make that work for them. They were too serious and they tried to go too funny, like the Marvel route. And that came across as kitschy. And I kind of am a fan of justice and that they're, they're stuck. They had, they suffer from, we're going to get into this next week too, but mm-hmm. they suffer from the curse of Batman. Yeah. What I mean by that is that's a really successful franchise with an amazing rogues gallery. After you remove, which is street level. Yeah. Talked about it a hundred times today. Mm -hmm. Once you remove that, what's the next best rogues gallery? It is an argument between the Flash and Superman, and those are both pretty piss poor. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman's are awful. Superman can give you Bizarro and Lex Luthor and Brainiac, and that's probably about it. I mean, there, I know there's other ones, Mixel, Plick, and Ship, but no one cares about that. Batman, Van, has, um, Batman has enough for every hero and then some. <laughs> Mongol, but yeah, the Flash has a nice rogues gallery, but it's the same cast of cadre of characters that Batman has. Mm-hmm. They're at a tough place because I don't know where they go in the expansive way that they'd like to, and they still, after, what are we, seven films now? I don't even know. <laughs> haven't figured out tone. They still haven't oh, figured yeah, out yeah, tone. Oh, yeah, yeah, the tone's weird they went dark didn't work they went light that didn't work you're gonna find one in the middle something has to work i mean what's most frustrating i think for us you know being writers and churning out stories and and whatnot and discussing story on the podcast is it doesn't sound it doesn't seem hard i mean you literally have 80 years of mythology to build stories around I don't know why it's like doing open heart surgery in the back of an ambulance that's in the middle of a 10.0 earthquake it shouldn't be hard. No, it really shouldn't. Um, I don't know. I don't know wh- who the answer or the savior is, but I have yet to see it. And honestly, at this point, I don't care um, until they make me give me reason to care again. It's a big statement, but I don't I don't disagree. They've got a really uphill battle to fight and it's not going to get better the next two weeks. Oh, no, <laughs> the, the movie might be good. It might be bad. I'm not making a statement no, yeah, towards yeah. that. It just continues to stoke the fires of where this disastrous culminating first attempt at Avengers JLA was and what it didn't do. Like, we're going to be all around that. Well, why did they do this in the first one? Why did there's it's going to be a shit show if this is good or bad, because you can't but help make the comparison to the movie that was released. And then all of the stuff that we spent the last hour and a half talking about Mm -hmm. is going to come up again. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's more money being turned into this project that you know, people don't give one iota about. I'm just flabbergasted at the money just being thrown at with one property. AT&T just gave $30 million to Zack Snyder to finish up the version that he's doing in this four-hour epic, and he says it's not a superhero movie. This is an epic. Ugh. So we're doing a superhero Ben-Hur. <laughs> Maybe Jesus will show up. Don't you mean Superman? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah, exactly. You're so so clever. I'm you just took the words so, right out of my mouth. So smart. I'm just you kidding. are. No, you no, yeah. That's where I was going. No, you I'm took just, me, you I'm took just it from kidding. Me. Uh, do you have what's the what's your favorite tasting note of Justice League? 
I think the battle underwater with Steppenwolf and Aquaman is the most entertaining bit of action in the film. And that might be it. That might be it. That's good. I mean, for a film with slim pickings, that's that might be it. Mine's the little flash Superman head turn. That that was a nice moment of comedy alluding to both of their abilities. That's just pissed away a second later. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the... Yeah, it, it was from the second I heard about it, and then the the second the movie started, it's Henry Cavill's upper upper lip. I don't know why anyone thought I would love to be again the fly on the wall and watching this first cut of this version, saying, "Oh my god, that looks terrible," and there's nothing we can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is, it is what it is, and it suffers. He's bad in it, but his upper lip is gives a much worse performance. Okay, mine is the rehumanizing of resurrected Superman in the corn when Amy Adams says you smell really good. And she just is so enamored with his pecs and his abs. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. It is. I I tuned that scene out. That's it for me. I I watched this with uh, my family Mm -hmm. and I kind of looked over and they were both, and those are two women of different ages, but you know, were like sticking their head in their hands. Just, appalled so at how cheesy, cheesy yeah. that is. Is there a master distiller on Justice League? I think you had already said Jeremy Irons. I think that there's some play there. Um, Can I keep him for my Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, Jeremy Irons for the win. I, I'm going to go with a Hail Mary that wasn't caught in the end zone but was flagged for pass interference at the one-yard line, so at least there's a shred of hope on one final play and give it to Momoa. Okay. that's what that's, I love your metaphor. There's where I'll go with it. Now that. they'll just uh, they'll run twice with Marshawn Lynch and then <laughs> throw on third down. Get intercepted by the Patriots. Yeah. That's, would, that's, that, would that be Superman in this film? Yeah, that's the one. Because he's about justice. No, that's the Warner Brothers suit sabotaging their own <laughs> film. That's hilarious, actually. That's pretty good. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Justice League? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Top shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this film's the definition of rock cut. I mean, when we established the rate, I, I, I went back and listened to some of the older episodes when we did our 100, and I think when we did Serenity, you, you were, you're so so kind, Matt. You're like, I want to be very careful about the definition of rock cut. In retrospect, we have been very unapologetic with films that deserve that rating. I think this film absolutely deserves it. Yeah, this is the walking embodiment of rot gut. It's terrible. Is it worse than last week? No. Uh, oh, is it worse than last week? Yes, it's worse than last week. At least last week recognizes its limitations to a certain degree, and the characters in that, as bad as they were, and again, we hammered them pretty good, mm-hmm. are far better developed than this. I equated this uh, just in just in my head. I thought about it. I was like, this is like the DC films are like at a college party. They're all getting pissed drunk. And someone, just a bystander, it's the film public, says, uh, man, can these DC films get any worse? And there's Justice League wallflower in the corner that says, hold my beer. I'll take it from here. <laughs> I love it. That's oh, great. Man. Yeah, it's, I, I only saw this the once when it came out. This watching it the other day was time too. Mm-hmm. That's enough for me. I yeah. can't. I can't. Never again. 
I have that box set of that caravan of garbage on my on my coffee table right now that has this Suicide Squad, BVS, Man of Steel, Aquaman, Shazam. I guess that was all right. Uh, and Wonder Woman, I like some of that. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a mess, man! What a mess! Okay, we need to talk about like, how does Shazam fit into any of this? Like, because <laughs> Black, Black Adam, Black Adam, yeah, Black Adam and uh, the, the Rock, the Rock, right? yeah, yeah. Oh man, I can't even comprehend that equation. But let, let, we're dying for our nightcap question, so let's just get right to it. Matt, you're gonna love this sound. We have gathered together the thirteen most ruthless villains on earth: a frigid Captain Cold. The sinister mind of Sinestro. The awesome Bizarro and Solomon Grundy. We love Solomon Grundy. And the super intelligent computer android Brainiac. Black Manta and Broad the Gorilla. The Toy Man and the humorous but sinister Riddler. The feminine yet ferocious Giganta and the hideous Scarecrow. (laughs) (laughs) What's great? I love that cartoon. What's great about it is he's doing Lex Luthor's doing the round robin of these villains and Solomon Grundy and Cheetah just destroyed this desk that they're sitting and she scratches it up and Grundy punches a hole in it. it I love it. I I I love the challenge of the super friends. I I loved all those cartoons. So good. Really good. So what's the nightcap, Matt? I'm going to give you three choices that you can make in this version of the justice league to save this film. Okay. You can do three things. From casting to story to uh, you name it, three things you can do. Let's do one at a time because this, this is going to be fun. Okay. Uh, my first one, uh, I'll just piggyback off that clip. I don't want Steppenwolf and Darkseed. I don't want the interplanetary villains. I want the villains that are the arch nemesis of our team teaming up. I want the Legion of Doom as the primary antagonist in Justice League. And the other thing, too, the opening sequence is the podcast kids and then Batman and then Wonder Woman. We need a better opening sequence. I want an opening sequence that gives Bruce Wayne reason to call to arms action and response uh, to assemble a team. I, we need something drastic to happen. The destruction of Wayne Manor, um, something that says, I got to put them together. And then go do your Seven Samurai thing. I'll spend time watching it that if it's interesting. Okay. That's what I want. That's one. You've already done my one, so I'll go ahead and do that now and tell you why. So it's remove Ezra Miller as the Flash in this film and add Grant Gustin. There's already a whole cast of characters that they had done a pretty good job of in those first at least three seasons. It's kind of gone off the rails a bit on the CW for the Flash. What that immediately gives you access to is Grodd and Captain Cold and Mirror Master and... A nice learn how to be a superhero team cast to fight against. And Grant Gustin is far superior to Ezra Miller Mm -hmm. in both depiction and look and acting ability. And certainly their ability to not get in trouble legally. Oh my God. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because Ezra Miller chokes (laughs) the flash CW program has had some issues too. There've been some, some stuff, but that's that's what I like. Keep him in it. Yeah, give me Grant Gustin. He's like more likable too. 
You know what else it does too financially for mm-hmm. Warner Brothers? It allows them to take the movie and tie it into the TV the way that Marvel, the Disney and Marvel are doing right now. Oh, absolutely. They could have been a decade, eh, not a decade, six years ahead of, of not those of Marvel shows came out in like 2010. We're, yeah, that could have been a plan. DC could have finally beaten Marvel at something by being first in one of these, and it's appropriate that it would have been the Flash if it's speed mm-hmm. being kitschy, kind of. But man, they missed that. So that's that's my that's my first choice. Good choice. Uh, my next one, Cyborg. You got to get him out of this film. It has to be Green Lantern. God right? damn it! That's actually mine too. That's my number two. Let's, my exact let's one. talk about it. Then. Okay. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually don't want Hell Jordan. They kind of proved that that didn't work with Ryan Reynolds and that that's a whole nother production disaster story. You want John Stewart. I want John Stewart. I want John David Washington as green lantern. Okay. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the cyborg character isn't entirely terrible. Mm-hmm. If you bring green lantern into it, what you at least have, and I know that movie's not great, mm-hmm. but by the context of what we've watched the previous two weeks, that movie's much better than either of these two, in my opinion. He's already established, and the villain that goes with him is also established. And here's something that's really important. Green Lantern is based on color. Mm -hmm. If Mother Boxes, and there's a rainbow of lanterns, the purple, the red, the orange, the green, and each one of those has a trait that goes along with it, I know it's a little Infinity Stones proper. Yeah. But if the mother box is represented by the color of that particular core, from anger to jealousy to hope or whatever, now at least the reality, the, the mother boxes are grounded in something that I can understand other than just infinite power by new gods as cell phones and boxes. So do you want you want Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern or I don't I'm not opposed to Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I see because that didn't work for me. Okay, fine. Th- that was him doing Deadpool as Green Lantern. I'm give me John Stewart. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I don't care. Like whoever. You just want that world because then you access know what, to that world. Yeah. This is a crazy question. I don't know if you have an answer, but after Superman and Wonder Woman, yeah, in prowess and power, isn't Green Lantern the third most powerful member of the Justice League? Yeah. If you have Green Lantern in this, then I might say you don't need Superman in this. And Green Lantern is going to be much more effective at chasing down Steppenwolf because he's been chasing him across the galaxies. Mm-hmm. Obvious miss. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the conversation. It probably was the film. That film probably killed any discussion of having Green Lantern in this thing. Yeah, probably just the did. bad word of it because it just that, that movie bombed when it came out. That was a big bomb too. Yep. All right, number three. I need another director in the director's chair handling this project it can't be Zack snyder i need him as far away from these characters as possible i know he loves them he's always wanted to do these superheroes for years i mean whether that be watchmen or batman or super like he likes them for film i need someone else i need someone that can handle a film of a big budget caliber a tentpole film something that you're gonna bake a whole studio steak on matt we talked about him on our little patreon a uh, little shout out I need J.J. Abrams in this director's chair. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's proven he can handle the might and clout of something like Star Wars and churn out billions with that. I, I need him in here, and I know he likes these characters just as much as Zack Snyder does. He's been trying to make Superman for three decades now. I love that. Yeah. I think and then maybe he could help with the script, too. Right. Yeah. Maybe some of the crisis that we talked about could have been averted. 
just it's not even a slam. I'm not even being particularly hard on Zack Snyder. It's just he wasn't ready yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great choice. J.J. Abrams would be fantastic. It sounds like Abrams can also handle the ego of a cadre of cast, too, mm-hmm. with, which comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good choice. Yeah. I think I, I made, we both are making the movie better. A lot better. Maybe we should write it. <laughs> Give me a crack at it. <laughs> yeah. We lost Moon Knight. I don't know if my origin, our agents <laughs> did not lock down Moon Knight for us, <laughs> but maybe we can we, get Justice League. There you go. <laughs> All right. Number one for me. Mm-hmm. We're going to replace Steppenwolf with Vandal Savage. Vandal Savage is immortal and healing and strong, and those are more appropriate roles for the Justice League learning how to fight. He has enough gravity with him that he presents a challenge, and I can still pursue the mother boxes with him because the acquisition of those is the keeping of his skill set from falling into the hands of the good. And at the end, he can be in the employ of Lex Luthor. Yeah. And if we start, think about what we've had. Mm-hmm. We have Sinestro now, because mm-hmm. we have Green Lantern in here. Yeah. We have <clears throat> Cheetah. She's already been introduced. We have Manta. Mm-hmm. We have the whole Flash cast of characters. So Captain Cole, Grodd, all those guys are in there. We add Deathstroke, and we don't kick him out. And by the way, he's out now. He's not even in any of DC's plans going forward. Joe yeah. Manganiello got 25 seconds, and he's out. And then you keep him in. I think he's supposed to show up in next week. In a dream sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you keep him in. That's that's, They said that's all he has going forward, though, Mm. is that. You keep him in with Lex Luthor. You have the Legion of Doom already constructed. Well, in my ideal plan, I love it. That's way better. Did I say Manta, too? Because we have him with with Aquaman. We need Manta. We do. He at least looks cool. Yeah. Uh, No, that's a much. Like, I think I said this in Batman versus Superman, but, like, had they taken the time and done Man of Steel, BVS, Wonder Woman, uh, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, then Justice League, the end credit scene could have been Luther recruiting the Legion of Doom. Like, take the villain at the tail end of each one of those and tell him I'm putting a team together. Uh, and you're building. You're building towards something. It also can't be Jesse Eisenberg. No, that's true. Give me Brian Cranston. Okay. It works. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh, gr- that's great. Uh, it's w- very wishful thinking in the alternative universe where we can see these movies. We see them, and I bet they're infinitely better than this. That's not saying much, but you're right. It would be better. This has been hell the yeah. last two weeks. It has been. Not doing the show because I love doing this every week and just getting in the weeds with what makes these movies tick and just why they don't work. But they've been kind of a chore to like sit through. So next, Especially when you look at it and you say, "God, this is such an easy fix. Just don't do this." Mm-hmm. But no. Well, we're gonna find out next week. So after all the fan clamoring and backlash and requesting for hashtag release the Snyder Cut, mm-hmm. it's finally coming out. Dun da da! In a four-hour Ben Hur epic, uh, we're gonna cover that, and we've decided just between the two of us. We're going to split this in two. We're not going to try and cover a four-hour movie within two hours. Uh, so I think it's... I, I I might be wrong in this, but I think it's broken into six chapters. So we'll do chapters one through three next week, and then four through six the following week. And we'll we'll see. We'll put it on the court of Rice Smile here and say, is this a better product than what this was? Everybody wanted it. The Warner Brothers execs are still not happy about it. Oh, no, they want this thing to go away as quickie, quickly as it arrives. So we'll see. Uh, I, I Honestly, I don't know if it could be worse. 
No, really. I mean, could it be? Can it be worse? I don't know. I don't know. When the quote unquote by several insider yeah. sources is unwatchable, 30 million isn't a lot to finish a $300 million movie that was 80% done. You know what I mean? That's nothing. So I think it's going to be look, it's going to look a little raw. And there's power in editing and pacing your film. And if we just got everything in there for shit's sake, like all the footage I ever shot is in the movie, we're going to fill the length of that four hours. You better believe it. I'm hoping for content purposes that they keep Darkseid killing Lois in the Batcave in this just because that is podcast gold that they're giving us. We'll see. We will see. Excellent. Well, oh, uh, before we get going, uh, yeah, just to just reiterate, you know, hit us up on any of the social media platforms or uh, hit us up on email, ricemileproductions at gmail.com, patreon.com slash ricemilefilms, tpublic.com, search ricemilefilms. Uh, yeah, just uh, we're very gracious of all the feedback, support uh, along the way, and we hope you're liking the episodes and hope you're liking the listens while we just torture ourselves week after week for you. We do it for you all. <clears throat> That's not true. We do it because we love it. But excellent. Cheers, Matt. I got to get going. I got to go uh, create my own anti-life equation, and it's to uh, lobotomize this film from my memory. I am not going to recall for this procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you managed to work in... Total Recall and our guy in Paul Verhoeven. He just shows up every week. I just don't want a schizoedembolism. I have a third boob. Do you want to see it? (laughs) Off mic, I'll show you. We'll see you all next week. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Justice League is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, DC Films, Atlas Entertainment, and Cruel and Unusual Films, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Here for a glass of Goudet Diamant. I was just celebrating God's return out of the ground and back up into the sky. He and his odd little friends are forming some sort of league. You better not be wasting my time. No, I have too much to live for and more important things to do. We have to level the playing field, Mr. Wilson. To put it plainly, shouldn't we have... A league of our own?